Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Well, you know what that means? It's uh, mystery of parenthood. Please do slow down and um, and take a moment. We've got a great uh, guest, a great topic today, and um, hopefully it'll bless you as I'm certain it'll bless us. Um, but before we do get started, let's go ahead and uh, begin with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thaddeus, how's it going? Trey, we are waiting. Waiting. Just waiting, waiting, waiting. Waiting. We're, we're actually, we're, we are taping this, so it's possible that... I could get the phone call... Any minute At now. any minute. <laughs> that says, come to the hospital. If you yeah. don't know what we're talking about, folks, it's that um, my wife and I, we are expecting our child, and um, we're just in that, in that moment of... Uh, Waiting of waiting when yeah. when her that's a good when biblical the, the term. baby decides that it's time to uh, to join us on this side of the womb right well um, we'll we'll pray for that and um, thank you expecting uh, that's that's gonna be great but we have we have one of my oldest friends on the on the show today. Um, which I'll introduce in a second, Doctor Doctor Joseph White. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, to get some stories out of him about you. Uh, you know, there's a pretty funny one, but that may or may not be for the show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but anyway, um, Doctor White was uh, at St. Thomas Aquinas as a, I guess the director of faith formation or whatever the term was back back in the day, and and we for the longest time spoke about theology and different things and and one day after he had left he called me and said hey would you be willing to do um, to work on um, a marriage prep program and was kind enough to ask me and I was honored to to uh, yeah. be involved with him and we did together we co-authored together in God's love some time ago which we did here just in the diocese of Austin for several years but um, so we've been through a lot together and and um good friend and I and I love him but but it came up we asked him I asked him probably a month ago I don't even remember to come on the show and then you know as it would be as time seems to go by really fast about two days ago or 
if, I don't, if even that long, I said, hey, what do you want to talk about? And he said, well, I just gave this talk. We don't have to talk about this. But I said, we'll send it over. And, and it was like, man, this is perfect. This is exactly what what yes what uh, the mystery of parenthood is about. And again, I'm going to frame it, and I'm going to introduce Joseph and, and let him let him uh, get to the the good stuff and you don't have to listen to me anymore, but, 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 um, we have always contended and together in God's love kind of was this, that, that God is the, the model. God is the, God is the place where we, where we look to, to know what he's like, but also what we're meant to be like. And that's the whole reason that he sent his son, Jesus Christ was to come and reveal man to himself, us (laughs) to us. And so, um, looking at God and understanding how he's revealed himself is extraordinarily important in terms of how do we practically apply that because we should do everything in our power to try to make visible the traits, characteristics, ways of working to the extent that a human can that God has shown himself to do with his own children. And so it fits perfectly with that. And and Joseph um, delivered this talk. It sounds like it was up at Notre Dame. I'll let him explain more. But but I'm going to allow us to talk about these five things, about um, the divine pedagogy. I'll let him explain that. Um, and then we'll go from there. But, hey, Joseph, welcome aboard. Yeah, yeah it's so, so glad to have you here. Great to be with you. Yeah, so tell tell everybody where where you are, what you're doing, and how they can – when they when they hear how wonderful this is, how they might be able to track you down and get some more information from you. All right, thanks. Well, I uh, I'm a, first I should say I'm a child and family psychologist by background, and then went back and got a little, little more graduate theology training once I started working more in ministry. But um, I, in addition to having a small private practice uh, uh, here in Austin where I live. Um, which I'm, I'm kind of phasing out at the moment. I work full-time for uh, our Sunday Visitor Publishing uh, as the director of catechetical resources. So uh, anything that has to do with faith formation, uh, the, the textbooks we publish for um, children's religious education in the parish and in Catholic schools, as well as other kinds of faith formation resources, that's what I oversee uh, at OSV. Um, and uh, great to be on with you. Um, if folks after the, the show want to uh, connect with me, probably the easiest way to do that is through my website at sharingcatholicfaith.com, sharingcatholicfaith.com, and you'll also find links to Twitter and Facebook uh, right there on that uh, homepage as well. Awesome. Well, I know they will after we after we talk, and I mean, just I'm in flooding back through the memories of... <laughs> of meeting you and I think you I mean you asked me to maybe teach a teach a class or something that's how I began to get to know you and then I anyway as I get old nostalgia is kind of taking over Joseph <laughs> but I'm starting to think yeah, about I all kinds of things your, your listeners that uh, Trey was uh, one of our key resident theologians at St. Thomas Aquinas when when I was there and uh so he was always our go-to person if we needed oh. somebody for adult faith formation. So uh, well, I've always appreciated all the wisdom that you uh, hand on to others, Trey. Oh well, thanks, Joseph. It was—I mean, it was great and great to get to know you. Just like I said, um, I'm so happy that you that we did connect. It's so it, the, it seems like the years, well, the weeks turn into months, and the months turn into years, and it seems like it goes by very quickly. But 
But you gave this talk. Um, where was that? It was at the Notre. Is that was it at Notre Dame? Yeah, um, there was a, a gathering uh, about a week and a half ago at Notre Dame of um, several different scholars in various fields, from sociology to psychology to theology, uh, from across the country, and uh, and also some folks came up from uh, from Australia as well as as discussants, um, and uh, and it was centered on the family. So we we were looking at it was called the, the Catholic Family Life Symposium. Um, and the discussion was uh, looking at the family from uh, various perspectives, but through the lens of our Catholic faith and, and, um, and addressing some basic questions about what does it mean to be a Catholic family living in our modern culture today, and, and how can we support and equip uh, families to fulfill their mission in the world. Uh, so it, it was a privilege uh, to be able to uh, to be there with this fine group of folks. Um, I uh, you know I mentioned when I got up in, in front of them to speak that I um, you know I'm accustomed now to speaking in front of sometimes hundreds or thousands of, of people uh, at different conferences. But um, you know I was really nervous uh, getting up in front of these 30 folks uh, because <laughs> okay. so much respect for the work that they do and hope that I could just, you know, say something that would contribute to the conversation there. But, um, uh, but they, they asked me to speak on uh, the relationship of the pedagogy of God, the divine pedagogy to the life of the family. And uh, for folks that are, are, are unfamiliar with that term, I'm not surprised. Well, I was just, yeah, just going to ask, you might want, you might want to um, let some people know what it means. Right. So um, there's, a, there's a document of the Church, and, and you'll see this term in other documents as well, but this is one of my go-to documents, uh, a document of the Church, of the Universal Church, that um, is, is uh, written to address how we are to hand on the faith to others. It's called the, the General Directory for Catechesis. So it's not a directory in the sense of, like, you know, a phone book or a list right. of web addresses or something like that, but a directory in the sense of a set of directions to us. Um, And the the general directory for catechesis tells us that the church's mission is to be a visible and actual continuation of the pedagogy of God. So, uh, and and when when it says the church's mission, obviously that doesn't just mean the pope and the bishops, it means the mission of the whole church, you and me, you know, all of us who are Catholic. It's our mission to be a visible and actual continuation of the pedagogy of God. So because this is our mission, it's important for us to know what that means, right? Um, and the pedagogy of God simply means the way that God teaches. You know, right. so, so we can look at how God teaches us um, as we look at Scripture, as we look at salvation history, and, and as we look at how God teaches us, we should be continually applying that to how we hand on our faith to others. You know, our... Amen, our, brother. Our, yeah, I... <laughs> Our number one mission as a church is to hand on this faith, is to lead people to Christ so that we all can be in heaven together. And so um, we need to look, as we think about how to do that, um, at what God does for us and and emulate that in some way. So uh, today we'll be talking about how we do that through the family. Yeah, and so that, I mean, that's great. You have a quote here, which which is an extension from that that general directory that says that, you know, that, that the church's mission is the visible and actual continuation of the pedagogy of God. And I've always said in most cases, you can take the word church with maybe some qualifications 
and put family in that space and probably right. be pretty close to accurate. What is yeah, and, what, and theologically that's right on because of course the the you know the church calls the family the domestic church, the church of the home. So yeah, so uh, if you do the, if you do that here, like you know the A equals B and B equals C, then then the family is to some extent to be a visible and actual continuation of the pedagogy of God. Right, exactly. Yeah, so that, and that's what we're going to talk about here. But I think, again, I, I always go back to the, the when I went to get my master's in theology and started studying before I even met you, Joseph, years ago, I met a priest in Louisiana, and, and I was, I don't even don't remember what I was doing. I was working in healthcare, and, and I remember him saying, why are you studying theology? What is that? How are you going to ever use that in what you do? And I think that disconnect is what has been at the center of everything that I just want to see something like what you just wrote about the disconnect that people don't understand that the reason you study God is because it applies everywhere. It's not like, you know, it, it's not like something that kind of gets put on a side shelf or you pull it off when you need it, but actually fundamentally that study of theology is meant to be applied. It's meant to be understood right. and then put into, into action to the best that we can by us being made in the image and likeness of God and being called to be this visible, actual continuation of his presence. Yeah, and this really is the, the essence of the message of Jesus Christ, right? Because, you know, when, when he criticized the Pharisees, it was because they knew the law, and they, right. they certainly, you know, called other people to follow the law, but somehow that never quite got to the heart. It never really changed their hearts. It never really changed how they how they actually live. That's why he called them whitewashed tombs, right? Right. Um, and and so, you know, I, I think the teaching of Christ and, and the teaching that we're called to follow as disciples of Christ is that this message should change everything about who we are. The fact that we are that we are are friends that, that friends of Jesus, people of God, uh, should change how we do everything in the world. Thank you. I, I mean, I just, like I said, I, I want more Catholics, more Christians to understand that this is central to understand who God is. That's why he came to reveal himself. So there was something here at the center of the, of the hierarchy of truths uh, is the Trinity. And I know that before the show started, there was Thaddeus and we were talking and you, and you, he was excited because we made reference to something that was talked about the, the last show that we ran, which was with the McAfee's about the Holy Trinity and how that applies to that. What did you have something to say, Thaddeus, on that? Do you remember? No, I just I would like to, I think Joseph starting starting there on how the family mirrors the Trinity um, would be a good place right. to to jump off from where we were just on on last Tuesday. So one of the reasons why the family holds such a, a key place in our faith, why, why the family has such a privileged role um, in our faith and in our church, is that the way God designed the family was to be an image of, a reflection of the communion that God has within God's self. God is a communion of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a communion of love. And the family is, is given to us to image that communion. We're created male and female, we're created to be in communion with one another. We're created in, in God's own image. And certainly each one of us is created individually in the image of God. But um, when we look at um, 
you know, certainly uh, the teaching of Pope John Paul II, St. Pope John, John Paul II's Theology of the Body, um, he points to the fact that not only are we individually created in God's image, but we're also created for communion with one another in God's image, right? And so the, the Christian family is a sign and image of the communion of the Holy Trinity, also a sign and image of, of, of another key aspect of our faith, the way that God relates to us through Christ. So Jesus's relationship with the church, and, and we find that uh, certainly laid out by by St. Paul in Ephesians chapter five, for example, the way that yes. uh, the way that the relationship between husband and wife images the relationship between Jesus and the church. Yeah, I think I think that's so so critical because I, I always wonder, like, if people don't think about how important it is that God revealed Himself as Trinity, and of course, John Paul II and many others have gone back and said that's critical. How different if you say, okay, we're meant to be in the image, even if somebody's trying to be like God, if they didn't know that God was a trinity, he was just a great old man king sitting up there ruling roost, that would change the way that we would look at the family. And the way that we understand God, too, you know, and, and, and so... It's, um, I've heard theologians, and I remember the first time I I thought about this, it just blew my mind, theologians talking about the idea that, you know, we we sometimes look at this as some kind of analogy, like this is an interesting analogy that's drawn in Scripture and in Church teaching, but in reality, it's, it's quite possible that God created the family to teach us this about himself. Wow. And and doesn't that just boggle the mind a little bit? It <laughs> doesn't. Think about that. And, and so, so that, that actually, again, that is part of the mystery of parenthood, because I think I've learned more about what possibly God the Father goes through <laughs> watching me fall and stumble and all those things <laughs> as I've aged in my parenthood and watched my own children go through their difficulties and stuff. So I have to remind myself, sometimes I have to remind myself, how would I, how would I handle it if my son made this mistake or whatever. And, and my initial response, oftentimes, if it was a mistake is, you know, I'd be sad more than anything. And I would run to him more than, you know, begin with figuring out how am I going to punish him? Right. You know, and sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Um, because I think for whatever reason, we've talked about this too, is sometimes we have a misconception. Maybe, I mean, my dad was a great dad, but I mean, something about God as being different than the way we are, but maybe he's actually made the family, like you said, a way of showing what he's really like to yeah. the world. I think, I think also for me as a, as a father, um, I've noticed that when I'm, um, when I think about my children, when I'm kind of, let's say if I'm at work, so I'm, I'm physically away from them right. and I'm just thinking about, about them kind of in their ideal sense right i'm always i'm always thinking of them in just the most positive glowing way i my my heart is just swelling when i'm when i'm thinking about them right and i i think yeah. i think for for us as human beings that that is a little bit of a glimpse into how the father looks on us um not not because we have to be physically distant from our children to be able to to think about them in that way but i think it just gives us some access to, um, we're able to put aside our own um, priorities and kind of selfish desires and maybe our own agendas when we're in that 
that mental space right. that we can just look on them as as these individuals who have their own dignity, their own beauty that we're a, that we are a part of creating, and we just right. we just see everything that is good and wonderful about them. What do you what do you think about about that, Joseph? Well, you know, I, as I think about that, and I think that certainly is is true and, and reflects how God sees us. I'm also conscious as a Catholic psychologist who's worked with a lot of folks who have grown up in families that were very broken or, or hurtful towards them, mm-hmm. that for some folks, this is a very difficult concept to wrap their heads around, you know, because they might not have had a father, right. or, or they might have had a father who was nothing like what we're describing, and right. didn't, didn't, they didn't feel this kind of, of yes. love from their father. And I, I, I want to hear, just put in a plug for uh, somebody that I know is, is one of our mutual favorite saints, Trey, um, St. Therese of Lisieux, yes, St. Therese right. of Little Flower, because uh, if, you, if you struggle with seeing God as this kind of a loving father who looks on you as, yeah. as his little child, um, I, I would encourage you to read her autobiography, The Story of a Soul. You know, one of the things that she says in her autobiography, at one point she was— um, feeling guilty about uh, when she would say her night prayers, that she'd fall asleep in the middle of her night prayers and, and not get it finished. And, um, you know, feeling feeling bad about that, feeling like she's letting God down in some way. And then she realized, you know, when she looked at this through the lens of a loving father, you know, what, what father in a conversation with his little child and the child falls asleep for the night in the middle of that conversation wouldn't look at that on that with anything but love, you know, it would be endearing. They wouldn't be angry. Why'd you fall asleep on me? Um, they'd go, Oh, how sweet. That's so cute. Right. (laughs) And once she was able to, once she was able to see God that way, it it changed, it changed the love that she felt from God, you know? Yes. I, so I, Stephanie, by the way, is doing a, a, a book study. That's, uh, Jacques Philippe on trust and on, but it's a retreat for her just by the way. One of my favorite saints of all time, and I know we share that, uh, Joseph. But hey, so we got a little bit. um, I want to make sure we get through these five aspects of this divine pedagogy, and maybe try to give some practical things as we go through it, so that so that we can um, maybe help some parents, and you know, even help us um, do a better job of this. So, there, I'm going to go through the five that. So the five aspects that you that you talk, and you can correct me if wrong, that the pedagogy of God is invitational and welcoming, that it is incarnational, love it, punchable, uh, communal, mm-hmm. four, then structured, systematic, and comprehensive. That's all number four. And then perpetual. And so yeah. um, those five things are the way that God um, teaches, and then and then we want to extend it also to how, this is the way that we should be teaching the faith as well. Is that is that a fair? That's right. Race doing it. Okay, so let's start with uh, that. God's pedagogy is invitational and welcoming. Uh, you know, we we sometimes hear people talk about searching for God or finding God, but when we look at the teaching of Jesus, and especially in in his parables, um, for example, in the the par- parable of the prodigal son or the lost sheep. Um, the image that we find there is not that we go searching for God and might stumble across Him, but rather that God is out there searching for us. That that God invites us into relationship with Himself, and He He makes the first move. 
Um, and we see this throughout history, throughout salvation history. We see this, you know, perhaps in a very real way in our own lives and our conversion stories. And, um, and so how does the family mirror that invitational welcoming pedagogy of God? Well, think about this. Um, you know, initially, that married couple mirrors God's invitational and welcoming pedagogy when they invite one another into this unique relationship mm-hmm. that they're not going to have with anybody else, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, that begins through courtship and then the, the marriage proposal. Um, and then they're extending that invitational welcoming pedagogy as they are open to new life, their openness to life that they mm-hmm. vow, you know, in, in their marriage, and then, then they live out as a married couple. Um, when pregnancy is achieved, the, the mother and father are preparing for that new life in lots of different ways. Thaddeus, I know you're preparing right now for this new life yeah, right. uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's in your family. And, and, uh, and so you're, you know, creating a space for that child in the home, buying baby supplies, uh, celebrating the, the, the child uh, coming and, mm-hmm. and all of those things. Um, and, and I think even, you know, couples that, that choose to adopt, they mirror that invitational welcoming pedagogy really in a, in a unique way. Um, in, in his letter to the Romans, St. Paul talks about how we receive a spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba, Father, God, God adopts us as his sons and daughters. So we, we see that, um, over and over emulated in, in the way that the family, uh, you know, mirrors this this pedagogy of God, this invitational welcoming, and and we do this naturally, precisely because God created the family. You know, so right. so this is not like something new. Okay, so now since we're imitating or, or emulating the pedagogy of God, you guys have to go out and do this. I think your listeners have done this. <laughs> right, and, and sometimes that is what exactly what is is needs to be pointed out is that it, it sometimes it's just realizing, well, I'm already doing this, but now I can frame it inside of the way kind of kind of through the lens that we should be looking at it because sometimes there's a lot yeah, of we're reason, going th- go ahead yeah no i was gonna say the reason why it's so important is because that allows for uh, for us to have a an encounter with christ right, right there in our family where, where we should have one right um you know and and so even as you're raising your child you're um you're meeting that that child's needs for food and drink for security and affection um, you know, and, and just the same way God accommodates for our particular, he's, his ways are high above our right. ways, Scripture tells us, right? But, but he, you know, in, in what Scripture calls or, or what, um, what our, our, our scholars in the Church call divine condescension, he, yes. he reaches down and, uh, and, and, you know, takes on some of our ways to, to meet our needs, right? And, and we see this even in the way that, um, parents speak to their young children. Right. You know, people tend to speak to little bitty kids, to babies and toddlers, even in a different tone of voice than they would speak to an adult friend, right? And I love and that image. Higher pitched and a little slower. slower. It's, it's something that um, ch- early child development experts called mother ease, you know, the, yeah. the language that we use to speak to, uh, to little kids. I love that image because I think it's true. And if you think about that, okay, God's trying to reach down here to us and, and deliver something that may be beyond our understanding in a way that is that. And so as parents, practically what that means is we do need to try to, and you're actually imaging it when you are talking in baby talk to your, to your child in a certain <laughs> sense, but maybe just frame it, maybe even talk to your kids about it. I think that's another thing is just 
help your kids, the older children who may also do the same thing. Say, hey, you know, this is the way God talks to them. You know, the baby doesn't fully understand us, but look at how she smiles when you talk that way and, and to kind of make it real in that sense. That that's the way God right. is trying to reach down and talk to us. I love that yeah. anyway, but no surprise. Number two, uh, that pedagogy of God is incarnational. Well, how about that one? Yeah. So God's word brings forth fruit, doesn't it? Uh, God speaks and his words become action. Um, and, and we see this in, even in the story of creation itself, right? God says, let there be light, and there is light. And, and then the creation story proceeds that way. We see God's incarnational pedagogy, though, most fully in the person of Jesus Christ, who, who's called the Word made flesh. He's the, the fullness of God's revelation. And, uh, and Jesus himself, uh, he teaches both through words and deeds, miracles, healings, object lessons, um, the Church, in following that pedagogy of God, has continued that multi-sensory pedagogy through centuries of, you know, fine art, liturgical music, um, the sacramental rites. Mm-hmm. All of them have elements that involve multiple senses. When I when I became Catholic, I grew up Protestant um, and uh, converted to Catholic Church in in graduate school, and I grew up in a in a very you know kind of evangelical Bible Church kind of denomination. And um, so I, I can't say that there was much to kind of capture the senses in, in that. I mean, there was some good reflection on Scripture, and I'm, I'm blessed to have grown up with that. But, um, but wow, when I, when I entered the Catholic Church, even through those, those rites, uh, the sacraments of initiation, um, it was like sensory overload. You know? right. <laughs> there was something to see, to hear, to smell, to taste, to touch, you know. Um, and, and so the church certainly has mirrored that, that divine pedagogy in the way that, uh, that word and action are, are intertwined there, um, and that our senses are engaged. Yeah. And I think that's really important because that God takes our humanity seriously, often more seriously than we do ourselves. <laughs> we take it ourselves that it's okay to, to experience the flesh, you know, I think flesh is often used in a bad sense in in that but but to be human is not bad um that's christ came to show us that and so to go eat or to smell something or to do whatever is all not only appropriate but it can actually help deliver the message so like when we did years ago i don't know if you remember this joseph it's probably around the time that you were here that we did a we had our kids actually now bishop mike sis gave us a eucharistic bread recipe and allowed our family to actually grind the wheat, prepare the bread, and then actually use it and deliver and bring it up at, at mass, uh, yeah. on a, on a, on a daily mass. And then of course he explained that it didn't look like the normal stuff, but it was indeed actually Eucharistic bread. But what a teaching opportunity that was because yeah. Experience yeah. it. They got to taste it. They got to feel it. They got to know that it was something different before. And anyway, I just, just different ways of, of taking our humanity seriously. So anyway, um, number three, that God's pedagogy is communal. Yeah, God uh, reveals as we as we talked about his his very nature as as communion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and three divine persons. Um, 
And, and Jesus tells us to call God our Father, and sacred scripture describes us as God's sons and daughters, brothers and sisters to each other. Um, as I mentioned earlier, that relationship between Christ and the Church also revealed to us in a familial context, as a, as a marriage between Christ the Bridegroom and the Church, His Bride. Um, so God uses family to help us understand some of the most fundamental truths of our faith. Uh, who, who is God, and how does God relate to us? Um, and, uh, you know, the, the bigger church is, is designed by God as a family, with God as Father, and, you know, because we're baptized and adopted as sons and daughters, that makes us brothers and sisters to one another. Um, and, uh, and the family, obviously, as a, as a communion of persons, mirrors that communal pedagogy of God. I think um, one place, well, for, for many of us, the first place that we experience relationship is that process of infant parent attachment. When we're infants and we attach to that, that primary caregiver, often, often the mother, but also the father as well. I mean, they, they used to think that uh, child development researchers used to think that babies could only like have one primary attachment, you know, and that was pretty much always the mom. Um, but now researchers kind of studying this more closely, and especially in families where fathers are also very involved, have, have been able to show that infants have multiple primary attachments sometimes, and, and most often to the mother and to the father. Um, so this is that first place that we experience that. Uh, what's interesting about that, what we're seeing through brain research, I'm going to put on my psychologist hat here for a second, um, is that when, when moms and dads respond to a baby's cries, uh, you know, the, uh, for food and drink or security or attention and affection, that infant's brain actually changes the, the, the hmm. social and relationship areas of the brain that we've been able to identify now through uh, some of the, the higher uh, resolution kinds of brain scans that they have now. Those areas of the brain develop when, when parents respond to their children in that way. Mm. Um, and then from that initial attachment flows secondary attachments, other family members and caregivers and other significant people in their lives. And, and that process of attachment, I think, really, because we're wired to do this. You right. know, we're, we're wired to respond to baby's cries. That why, that's why it makes us uncomfortable. Even if somebody else's baby is crying, we, we start getting a little uncomfortable, like, ah, you know, take be done over there. Um, because we're wired to respond to that, right? Um, and, uh, and, and, and that reflects the reality that we're created by God to be in communion with each other. Um, so that's first experience through the family. And, uh, and then there are multiple other ways that families can, can foster that communion. The two that I most often recommend that families really pay attention to, I mean, if you can't do anything else as a family, other than, you know, making sure you're going to Mass, uh, right. two other things, meals together and praying together. Um, yeah. So the, the, the family meal is so important. You know, Jesus uses a meal uh, to give his very self. He uses a meal in the, in the center of, of his ministry. If you, if you read the Gospels through that lens and say, how often is Jesus having a meal? You'll see him having a meal at every significant point yeah, in his, that's in great his point. ministry. It, it brings us together. It helps the family grow. Research says that uh, that family meals are correlated. Regular family meals are correlated with uh, higher self-esteem and lower drug use in children, increased family communications, better grades. I mean, you name the outcome you want to see for your kids out in the world, 
and and it's connected somehow with regular family meals. Um, the other, besides family meals, is praying together as a family, you know, praying together. And 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 if that prayer can involve particular rituals, you know, times of day that you pray, particular occasions that you pray, and the way that you do that, uh, seasonal celebrations. Mm-hmm. Um, if if we can experience that life of prayer together as you know that that cycle of different joys and celebrations and family life, and also just everyday conversation, you know, if somebody's really struggling with something, somebody's nervous about a test that's coming up tomorrow. Well, let's just stop for a minute. Let's all pray together, you know, that that Billy makes a good grade on his math test, that that the Holy Spirit will help him remember the things that he needs to remember tomorrow. I think those times, those moments are so important, and it doesn't take long. You know, it's, right. it's not a, a 30-minute, you know, thing that we have to, to, to necessarily, uh, although I think it's good to do that, <laughs> to, right, yeah. to make the space for that. Um, but I think those occasional spontaneous prayers are, are equally important and equally valuable. I find it interesting, you know, because a lot of people, you could sit here and say, okay, let's have meals together and let's pray together because I want, you know, lower risk of suicide, happier suits, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. And and often that's the way that, that things are argued. But, but in fact, what I think it is neat is it shows the connection between the way God made us and how, how trying to live in concert with that actually fosters us becoming more who we're supposed to be. So right. kind of the other way around. So many other good outcomes. And and we've seen this in general in the psychological research. You know, we we can see, although, you know, I know that it's not publicized as much as it should be, but when we look uh, at the field of positive psychology, which studies happiness, those kinds of things like, you know, rituals, prayer, um, going to church, you know, right. attending church on a regular basis, they all lead to positive outcomes in people's lives. And it's because this is how we're wired. You know, I mean, people shouldn't do all of these things simply because they can have all these practical benefits. I mean, we should do these out of love for God and, and, you know, right, our commitment right. to, to Jesus Christ. But, uh, but as you say, I mean, this is how we're made. And so once we, we start really fostering these habits, we'll see that all of these other things seem to fall into place. That's, you know, it reminds me of that, that verse, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things yes. will be added to you. It's, it's probably, and, and that's, it is interesting because like even just in parenting, one of the things that you know, people are say, well, what do you do to get your kids to behave or, or, or whatever? Well, you know, we don't want just the behavior. We want their, we want their heart. So it's kind of like we, 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 we treat them the way that so that they know that they have dignity, that they know that they have a, a standard, that they know, you know, all these different things. And then it's amazing how, you know, not without <laughs> needing correction once in a while, how well they actually the outcomes come without us actually focusing on the outcome itself, but instead of fo- focusing on something deeper something right right uh, anyway i don't know it, I, you I, want to be the person in their life not the one that they obey because they fear you know uh, right first letter of don says that the one who fears is not perfected in love right right um so you want to be the person not that they obey because they fear but that they obey because they love you know you want to be that one person that they just don't want to disappoint right yeah absolutely um, and that's what god wants to be for us too Right. Exactly. That's, that's why, a, I love that. I mean, I just think that it's yeah. so great that it kind of goes back and forth. Like, in other words, you can look at it from 
inside the family, but then you can now apply it to God in a certain sense and understand what's better to have a love that's 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 leading to obedience as opposed to I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I know yeah, we're gonna there's, move. There's, Go a, ahead. there's a psalm that says your your kindness brings us to repentance. Right. You know, that it's saying, you know, because God shows us such love and mercy, we, we naturally are drawn to him. We we reorient ourselves toward him when we really see that and are aware of that love and that mercy. Yeah. Joseph, quick question here. We only about have about ten minutes left. But um what about maybe parents who um might feel like they've already moved into that relationship of um, coercion, let's say. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason it's happened, but that seems to be the status of the, of the relationship with one of the children. How do they, is it possible to move, to move out of that? Is what, what are some steps they can take to, to try to start re reorienting that relationship? I think one of the things that's really important is taking time to just play and have fun together. Um, you know, at, at those down times, being able to kind of connect with what is an interest that your child or your teen has that that you can get behind and support in some way or another and and explore together with them um, and, and kind of let them take the lead, you know, whether that's building things out of Legos or um, making music or whatever it might be. But I think being able to do some things that, that are just times to, to connect and play and what, what Pope Francis calls just wasting a little time together, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of fits uh, in that accompaniment, just, right? That accompaniment. Right. Uh, we, we can't, uh, we can't expect that relationship to be built unless we're, we're, we're kind of spending some time together. That's more low key time. The relationship's not built through the serious talks very often. We have the serious talks because we have the relationship. Right. right. And so the relationship is built through those occasional times of just paying some attention to one another, spending some time together, doing something fun. And so I would encourage parents that are struggling with that, you know, find out what really excites your child, what your child's really passionate about. And I mean, sometimes they might feel like, well, a few a few of those things I wouldn't really be able to support or participate in with my child. Right. Um, but <laughs> but find something that you can connect around and put some energy there first and, and see what fruit might come from that. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Just be together. That's right. Um, awesome. Thank you. That was a great question. Thanks. The, um, number four was actually three things that the God's, uh, pedagogy is structured, systematic, and comprehensive. Right. So Whew. through salvation history, <laughs> we, I know it sounds like a mouthful, doesn't it? But, but all that means is simply that we see God reveal himself little by little in a structured way as people are ready to hear and understand. So we see that happen through his creation and then more fully through his covenant with Abraham and the law given to Moses. And, and eventually, of course, that fullness of revelation that's given in the person of Jesus Christ. So God gives himself, reveals himself little by little as people are ready to, to hear and understand. Okay. And, uh, and, and parents, you know, parents that are attuned to their child's abilities and their needs understand that, that children acquire knowledge and skills little by little in ways that, that are commensurate with their, with their growth. So, you know, 
you have to present those life lessons gradually and systematically. A a good parent doesn't try to teach an infant to tie their shoes, right? An observant parent doesn't anyway, because they know infants don't yet have the coordination to do that. They don't, they don't try to get their preschoolers to balance their, their although I don't know, Trey, as a, as a banker, you might have. (laughs) No, um, no. uh, I've got a, I've got a college age girl. I've got to go help her with that like next weekend. (laughs) But you know, I mean, you're doing that because she's college age. Parents present those life lessons as their kids are ready and able to to understand them, right? Right. Um, and that's that's emulating that that gradual, that uh, structured, systematic, and comprehensive pedagogy of God. Now, one thing that's really important to note here is that when we talk about that, you know, it, it may be um, gradual, it may be systematic. God reveals Himself in stages, but God doesn't say one thing and then say something opposite later on, right? Um, so, yeah. so so this doesn't mean relative, you know, that, that the truth changes over time, but simply that the truth is handed on in, in, in stages as people are, are ready to receive it. And, and we do that in our families as well. We know that young kids don't understand some things that we, we call older kids to because of their maturity. Right, and I think it's a, a couple of things points is that we talk about that that you're you to be purposeful is to actually be paying attention to what are kids going through what they need and then being aware of actually what they're asking one of my favorite stories is one of the one of my friends tells the story of his his eight-year-old son coming in and going dad what is sex and he's like we'll go talk to your mother and the, and the <laughs> mother and the mother goes and he said well that mom dad sent me in here what's sex and then she goes, go tell your father to handle this. So they're thinking one thing. And finally, the, the parent, the father was smart enough to say, why are you asking that question? And he said, well, I'm filling out this form and it says sex M F what, 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 what's M and F. And so the question wasn't even being asked. So there's, there's a sense of yeah. parent needing to be, you know, we may be thinking it's one thing when in fact it's something completely different so to ask and be purposeful instead of just giving an answer, you might provide them with more information than they're asking for. That's right. So yeah, we, we have to ask enough questions and be observant enough to be able to assess where a child is and 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 what information they need. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, anyway, that popped in my head. And then I want to make sure we get to the last one. So God's pedagogy is perpetual. But that one. Yeah. So... Um, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is somebody who does a lot of catechesis and faith formation kind of stuff. It's Isaiah fifty-five eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, so from my mouth it shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. Um, you know, God's word when it goes out doesn't ever come to nothing. It bears fruit. It comes to fruition. And, and God's truths are handed on through the generations in the forms of sacred Scripture and sacred tradition, which is the, the living memory of the Church. Um, and in baptism, every person, each follower of Christ, is sent forth as a missionary. We're, we're all Christ is a missionary. Um, we, we need to, to be spreading that, that word, in, uh, both in word and action. Um, and the family mirrors this perpetual pedagogy of God as well. God calls us not to stay closed in on ourselves as family, um, but to go out in the same way that, that God as a trinity, as a communion person, doesn't stay closed in. Um, but, you know, God sends the Son forth and sends the Holy Spirit forth 
um, that uh, that we are also called to mirror that pedagogy of God. So we, we we're called to as a family to use our gifts not not only to serve one another but also to serve the church to to serve, for example, our local parish, to serve the community, and and in a particular way to serve those who are in need, um, as Jesus talks about with us. Um, and uh, you know, I think we we begin that service. Uh, outside the home, uh, you know, when, when parents model that for their kids and involve their kids in activities of service, uh, especially ones where, where families can participate together. We, there's a family at our parish that I always see every Sunday um, picking up all of the, the worship aids that people have kind of scattered through the pews and straightening up the, the hymnals. And, and you can always rely on this family after the Sunday evening Mass. They'll be there a uh, large family with lots of kids, and they're kind of spread out through through the parish, through the church, uh, doing this together. And and I love that, because I think this is one way that, you know, in their family, that they're modeling going out and, and serving the church, serving others out in the world. And I think that's, that's really neat, too, because I think it's important. If I always say that, you know, every family is unique and unrepeatable, and every family's got different gifts to share and that and that we need to find that thing and that whatever that is so some you yeah. know i can think of the cuts bows it's music you know it's music you know us maybe it's it it's some teaching or or whatever but everybody's got something to give that's it's maybe uniquely their family's charism of of sorts even if it's service or whatever but i think that's a great great point i know we're coming to the end. how much we're we've got about two minutes is that right Three, roughly three. Um, so, if if you were to tie this up in a in a in a knot, um, or in a bow, hopefully not a knot. I, I, I tend to end up in, <laughs> in knots. But um, how would you end that for for those people out there listening? Um, well, you know, I, I think one of the things I would say is um, we can only image that which we know. And so it's, it's just so critically important that as individuals and as families, we stay rooted in, in God's Word, in Scripture and sacred tradition, that we make sure that we understand how God speaks to us in, in, in the Bible and, and also how He speaks to us um, through the catechism, uh, through the traditions that the Church hands on to us. Um, the the closer we draw together to God, the the closer our family will then image the the pedagogy of God. Uh, we have to know that which we're called to image. Yeah. So find so find something. There's I mean there's lots of resources out there. But um, anyway, I know we're 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 drawn to a close here. I think I think that I'm going to use because I, I forgot this verse. But when you said it, and it's one of your favorites, Joseph. Um, we're going to use Isaiah fifty five eleven um, because we need to go study the word, and, and when we do, His word um, that goes forth from His mouth, it will not return void, and that's should be an encouragement to us. So, anyway, well, thanks, Joseph, so much for being here. We're going to draw a close. Stay stay on after we after we finish here, but um, remember, people, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And he will. God bless you guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. From the cross.